Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. It's a rare event in the criminal justice system when you have an individual that actually pleads guilty. It seems truly to be the exception and not the norm. I would imagine when you're standing before what seems like a mountain of physical evidence and you still have a few synapses firing in your brain that give you an indication that this is a losing battle you have no other choice today we're going to talk about the murder of a lovely woman by the name of Beth Capaldi and her husband who decided that he was going to end not just their marriage, but her life over something that is so utterly bizarre. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Dave Mack, my good friend, senior crime reporter with Crime Online. Hey, Dave, I got a question for you, man. I was just curious when when you were a kid, did you like comic books? You know, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> and the right thing to say. Oh, I yeah. loved them as a kid. I'm going to yeah. be honest. I didn't even really consider comic books as part of my life until I started watching Big Bang Theory. You know, when it was on all the time. And so when I saw this article and started digging in to the Capaldi's and it was like, I understand how that thinking is different than what you and I might think about. But no, I didn't get into the serialized comic books. The only closest thing I'd come to would be the funny papers, you know, Charlie Brown or uh, Mad Magazine. I love that one. Oh, I love Mad too. Listen, I, I have to admit a weakness. I do love them. I loved them as a child. And it's interesting. You said the comic strips. What'd you refer to them as? The funny, what, the what funny was papers? <laughs> the yeah. funny papers? Yeah, yeah I know. And, <laughs> and my granny, she would refer to comic books as funny books. Okay. I guess it's rooted in this idea that, you know, that it was escapism in order to, or it's perceived to get a laugh. Right. The stuff that I was interested in was always serious. I was a huge Marvel comic book guy, you know, when I was young, wow. Spider-Man and Captain America and all that stuff. It was fascinating to me. 
I'm particularly struck by how much money is involved in that industry. And now today, it's an area where people can go and and trade these things, and oh, these business. things are like hermetically sealed. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can You don't touch it. Right. Don't touch it. You set it set it up on the shelf because it's got this value to it. <laughs> the beauty of it is you used to can roll it up in your back pocket, you know, and carry it and and you know throw it all over the place. No telling in today's standards. There's no telling how many dollars I actually threw away. Well, I never mock people for doing the comic book thing. I just I don't because we all get into different things. But we do. I will we tell do. you this. I saw Iron Man, the first, you know, Robert Downey Jr. I watched it because I like the work of John Favreau. I've always been a cheerleader for Robert Downey Jr. And I watched the movie and didn't know that this was based on a comic book. I didn't know. Really? I just thought, yes, I had no idea. And I'm talking, I had no idea, Joe. I felt totally stupid afterwards because I got into the movie. I'm like, well, maybe I'll be into the comics. And so I... I got a book. I got a comic book, not a book. I got a comic book and opened it and went, okay, yeah, and still not my thing. You know, that just means that you were interested in other things, and that's <laughs> that's kind of cool. With Stephen Capaldi, I, I got I to tell you, I'd, we cover a lot of cases on body bags that are driven by passion. And I guess you can have passion in, in different areas. And most of the time, it's a romantic passion, you know, that you got jealousy that rises up or you've got people that want to get out of a relationship and go into something else. But Dave, I got to tell you, in, in this particular case, we've got a combo of both. We've got infidelity and wow, we got comic books. Unbelievable that we could actually be at the center of this. And it, it was part of it. And I'm glad you pointed that out. Many of the stories that we cover in crime deal with the base sexual needs human beings seem to have and what the links they're willing to go to break bonds that they stood in front of oftentimes their family, friends, and God Almighty and said, for better, for worse, sickness and health, I'm here for you. After 30 years, you know, I, I really want to open up a comic book store with my brother and my wife just will not support this idea. And so... He's out trolling for somebody who will support that idea, and he finds her. I can't think, Joe, that this is all there is, but it is. It, it is that basic stuff right there. He wanted to do something his wife didn't have a thing for, and he became interested in another woman. At 57 years old, 30 years of marriage, you decide, you know what? I've had enough of you. And so you get down to the nitty-gritty here. What do you do if your goal is to end this marriage? Well, one, pick up the phone, call an attorney, and have a meeting of what can I do to extricate myself from this horrible situation I'm in with my wife of 30 years who, by the way, still loves me. No, no let's not do that. Let me find a good way to put her out of her misery and mine so that I can start this new business with my brother. You sit back and you consider this and is is it a matter i wonder of just being laser focused on this thing that that you think is going to satisfy this this urge that you have this long-term goal of owning a, a comic book store not that there's anything wrong right. with that <laughs> yeah. but there's certain ways that you go about it. it it's certainly not as would be revealed down the road you think about well i'm going to go on, i'm going to go on and do a search for how is it that i that i can get a great business loan no you you're going to go and do a search of what does it take to pass a polygraph if something happened to my wife 
And the police, I would be the first one they'd look at. They would investigate and they would look at the books I have, look at the shows I, and the research I do. And I'm telling you, within about 30 seconds, I would be in handcuffs being walked out to the car for an interrogation just because I have all these things. OK, I have. Re but I have a reason for it. I do a show with Joe Scott Morgan called Body Bags. I'm a crime reporter on other shows. So I have research on my computer, like how to get away with murder. Can you avoid police detection by turning off your phone? How to control your dark impulses? These are just some of the things that Stephen Capaldi researched prior to his wife's demise. If you're taking this amount of intellectual power and applying it toward that, and he even mentioned these things are dark. So automatically from Jump Street, he's acknowledging what the path that he's going down is very sinister. I mean, very, very sinister. He is applying all of his efforts in that particular area. And this is a guy that, along with his wife, that's established a family. They've been married 30 years now, and they kind of drift apart over, over years. They're not as intimate. They're not as close as they once were. Why are you going to pick up a brick and throw it through a stained glass window? I, I don't I don't understand that necessarily, but it's it's amazing to me the way people will do these sorts of things. And they I think for from my perspective as a forensics guy, we are so detailed in what we do from an investigative standpoint that we get to go back and look at things when there is a pause, right? We're not going into scenes in an urgent state of mind. We, we try to be methodical. We try to be well-planned before we enter in because we've done this so many times and we try to be very accurate in our practice. You got a guy who is looking completely to rip apart his family and his wife's life he did not consider all of those fine details that, you know, that are going to wind up having you stand before a judge at some point in time. And all of these things are going to be listed and you're going to eventually have to stand and answer for what you've done. You think about it just for a second. And if he had an opportunity to go back in time and consider what he had undertaken, I think that Stephen Capaldi may have chose a different path. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day -day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. 
Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's Better. H-E-L-P.com slash bags. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. All that remains, that's a term that's been applied in forensics. I think there's certainly been a, a fictional novel that has that title that falls back into forensics. But all that remains is, I think it's very appropriate in the case of Beth Capaldi. She occupies a home, a dwelling that she's probably lived in for a goodly part of her life. And suddenly she's absent from there. What is it that remains of her? What is it that's left behind that can help an investigator try to determine what's occurred? Did she just merely vanish into thin air? That's exactly what they walked into, Joe. When Emma Capaldi, that would be the daughter of Stephen and Beth, she hadn't talked to her mother for a couple of days. And she goes to her dad and says, hey, I haven't talked to mom in a couple of days. What's going on? And he doesn't really have a satisfying answer for her. So she calls the police and says, I can't find my mom. My dad's no help. Car is here. Her phone is here. But she's nowhere to be found. And I don't know what to do. That's what police came into in this particular story. That phone call. And they came on scene, and as they do, they took a report. 
They talked with Emma about what her relationship was with her mother and how often they talk to establish kind of the boundaries that this is way out of the norm for Beth Capaldi to not be in touch with their daughter. And then two is, well, let's talk to the husband slash father here and Stephen. Well, Emma told the police, hey, when I talked to my dad about this and told him I was thinking about calling you, he said, yeah, do what you have to do. Do what you think you have to do. Well, does that phrase, do what you think you have to do, sound like something coming from a concerned husband, a wife of 30 years is missing, and the best you can come up with is, hey, do what you think you have to do. I got I to gotta stop you right there, Dave. It, it almost smacks of, of a response to a threat. I mean, it, I've been in situations before where I've been on scene as an investigator, and I've had people say, keep doing this, I'm going to sue. My flippant response is, do what you got to do. <laughs> you, you think about the relationship between a husband and wife and their daughter too. Right. Who's actually going to say that to their to their daughter who is looking that's concerned about her mama? You know, what what's occurred? Where is she? I want to I want to talk to mama. Well, I don't know. I'm going to reach out and do what I have to do. Well, do what you got to do. Who who says that? That's the thing he never bothered to call. That's the thing. His daughter is like, "Why didn't you call?" He didn't. And so, boom, there's your phone call. And that's why, Joe, th when I first saw this, my thought was, what would you do? You get the call later on, usually. They don't call you into this first meeting, do they? When the police are there taking their notes, they call you up later on and say, hey, man, this woman's missing. It started here in this house, but we don't know anything else. Do you come into that environment, Joe, and start sniffing around with luminol and black lights? or What, what do you do? Well, if you're talking about... Um a missing persons case, which you would think that that's kind of the the starting point. And, and there's any number of, of examples of this throughout the years that we could certainly revisit. But you think about someone is summoned to a location and they say, hey, my child is missing or my spouse is missing. You don't begin to work that case as if it is a homicide. Okay. That, that's just not, that's not your... That's not your response as an investigator. You know, you begin to try to piece things together when you, you look at the scene and knowing that, let's face it, Beth worked from home. This was not only her home, it was her office as well. So most of her life is spent in this home in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And so you would think that there would be evidence of her having lived a daily life there, everything that comes along with that. If she leaves the house, you'd expect to find an absence of certain things, wallet or phone or car keys and, and all of that. That's where you start in a missing persons case. And then, of course, you've got this digital signature. She's using a cell phone. And going back to what you had said earlier regarding their daughter, Emma, I, look, I can only I can only state in, in my life that my wife and my daughter, they, they talk probably twice daily at least. And then I will talk to my daughter. And if she hasn't heard from us or we haven't heard from her, we're going to be concerned at that point in time. And if one of us hasn't heard from, from my wife, we're going to be calling one another. Have you talked to mom lately? No. When did you last talk to her? You, know, you kind of go back and <laughs> forth. And there's kind of an urgency. 
nothing necessarily to get worried about, but you you want to you want to have contact because it it's absent the norm. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, it's it's not it it we look for these patterns that develop in a person's life, and once those patterns are being broken in some way. When people begin to act outside those normal ranges that they work within on a daily basis, then that's that's kind of that's a tough thing. It, it really is. And then I think that it's at that point that police, after they question, you had mentioned those individuals that are in that intimate circle. You know, who's more intimate than a than a spouse? You begin to see how they behave, how they react. You begin to kind of dig in, look beneath the surface and try to understand, is the story they're telling you, does it marry up with what you're seeing evidenced before you? And can they maintain the same narrative over and over again? That's why when police question people, many times you will see them ask the same question over and over again. And sometimes they'll rephrase it. But they want to see if what you're saying in the present marries up with what you said two hours ago or an hour ago or even 30 minutes ago. They want to see if there are any deviations from that standard. You know, one way they do that is while they're interviewing you. But I hate to call somebody a suspect right off the bat. But, you know, when a spouse is missing, the, the other one is the, the he's the immediate concern. Absolutely. So Absolutely. They'll, they'll break him down. They'll ask questions. Hey, what did you do last night? And in this case, that's how we know that in one of their first interviews talking to him, what were you guys doing last night when you were last with her? And he said, we watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer sitting on the couch and we were holding hands. OK, that's what he said they did at the last time they were together. Now, the reason they know that is because, like you said, they'll use that later to trip him up. What they probably said during the course of this interview, about what time was that? Really? When did you start watching it? About 8, 8.15. Well, was it 8 or 8.15? Was it closer to 8.10? Yeah, 8.12. Now, it seems innocuous, but if you're telling the truth, you know what time you did something. And when they get that information from you, okay, it was about 8.12. You have a reason for thinking that way and remembering it that way. So an hour later, when they ask you the same question, they won't, they won't throw it out as what time? They will say, okay, you said you guys were watching TV around 8.15 or so, right? And then you write that down. Well, all of a sudden, when you say, yep, that's right, they know that isn't the truth because you narrowed it down to 8.12 earlier. Now you're saying 8.15. It's just a little red flag. Yeah, yeah, it is. And let me give you an even <laughs> bigger red flag with Stephen Capaldi. Dave, he, he went from, we were watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer sitting on a sofa together holding hands to, well, she may have taken off on a solo fishing trip. Yes. Uh, who, who, who says that? And I think that there was even at one point in time, he used, he used the phrase, well, she's, She's on a beach somewhere, yeah. somewhere warm. Someplace warm on the beach. <laughs> How broad yeah. do you have to be within the spectrum when you begin to, you know, these probative questions that the investigators are kind of digging into to try to find out what happened to Beth in, in, in this period of time? And, and why would this is the other question. What would be your purpose for deviating from your narrative that you've already created when when we have asked you this over and over again? You talked about going through the house and spraying with luminol and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly something that we eventually do. But can I tell you something else that's very curious about Stephen Capaldi, his interesting searches that he's done on the Internet? 
not only <laughs> not only did he search for things that we talked about, he also searched out things like reciprocating saw and black light, which if you've never seen a black light utilized at a crime scene, it will cause biological samples to kind of luminesce in that environment. You can use it with semen. You can use it to a certain extent with blood. And it's kind of a, an interesting thing. You know, why, why are you searching these things out? You begin to couple that with this kind of deviation that he has from the story that he's providing early on. And certainly it raises a red flag for the investigators. And that's all the more reason that the investigators would go out at this point in time. Okay, now let me ask you something. You pointed this out, and I just want to go back to it very quickly. He said that they were on the, holding hands on the couch watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But then, in the same conversation, my wife just told me about an affair she's been having for three years. She's been having a three-year-long affair. We've been married 30 years. She just admitted to a three-year-long affair. But we're sitting on the couch holding hands watching Buffy. That doesn't fit my picture of a healthy, happy 30-year marriage. No, it doesn't. And listen, this is this is the thing. You can say anything that you want to say. And you're talking to the police and the dead aren't there to defend themselves. And of course, at this point, they don't know if, you know, where where Beth is, if she's still among the living or if she's passed on. But when you're in control and you're kind of driving a boat at this point in time, you can put any type of information that you want to out there to mislead the police. You know, and that's when you start to get into areas like you're attempting to obstruct a, uh, an investigation. They begin to add these little charges to things as as the narrative develops moving on down the line. Because if there's one thing that will frustrate an investigator, it's that they have been given bad information. It makes the entire team take two, three 50 steps backwards and have to go back to that original point. Now, that's a good thing in one sense, is that now you're beginning to understand that this individual is being deceptive. And that's part of the investigation. But it it can, trust me, it can get very frustrating. Preeminent among everything here is his wife's safety. Where is she? We've got a woman that has gone missing. We want to be able to find her intact. But of course, in best case, that certainly wasn't the story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
So where do you go? Where do you go with an investigation when the person that is most intimately involved with the missing person is giving you all kinds of deceptive answers and they're leading you down these paths that lead to nowhere. It's a tough thing to kind of measure as an investigator, but as I stated earlier, you have to understand that this is part of what investigators do. And it's almost a, a built-in expectation that you are going to be deceived in some way. That's what always strikes me as funny, Dave, when people say investigators are so jaded. Yeah, you're right. When you've been lied to a lot, you tend to be jaded. You suspect everybody. And I'm chief among sinners. I'm guilty of it. Well, in this particular case, we have the adult daughter. She calls police because she hasn't been in touch with her mom in two days. And here, there's an interesting sidebar to this show. None of the family or friends had talked to her in two days. And they pointed out that at 55 years old, Beth Capaldi was a homebody. She had never actually stayed away from her own home overnight by herself. Not a very common thing among an adult that's in her mid-50s, but absolutely the truth here. So now you've got a 55-year-old woman who is gone for a couple of days, and she's never, ever done this in the history of her world. She left behind her car, okay? How did she get to wherever she is? Her keys, her iPad, cell phone. Plus, you know what? Beth Capaldi has an elderly mother in a nursing home. So they have their work cut out for them to figure out what exactly happened. But it does start with her husband, Stephen Capaldi, who claims they're watching Buffy on the couch, holding hands, and then, wait a minute, I don't know where she went, and I don't even bother to look for her. That's a big, big red flag to me. So you come in, you're the investigator, Joe. How do you begin to find out what happened to Beth Capaldi, and was it explainable in an innocent way or not? Is the house going to reveal what exactly happened to her? Am I going to find a forensic look at his phone or computers or other things like that and dig through that and find out what was going on? These are the questions I have right now. You're the investigator, Joe. You're coming into a house that you don't know is a crime scene right now. No, you you have no idea. And so you're walking through this dwelling where you know, for all you know, some of the most horrible things imaginable could have occurred, but yet you're you're walking into something that is set up to deceive you. Uh, let me kind of expand on that and tell you what, what had occurred. You'd mentioned her cell phone, her keys, her car were all there, okay? But what was not there was her purse, her wallet, and $13,000 gone, gone. You consider that, that bit of information. Well, as an investigator, you're thinking, well, why would you need that much cash? What are you going to do with that volume of cash? Well, travel. You're going to get away. You're going to go somewhere and disappear. And sometimes people have certainly done that over the years. People have just said, it's just too much. I can't go on. I'm, I'm going to bury myself in the mist of time and no one will remember me anymore. But fortunately, the police continued to press relative to the timeline, relative to what had been said and done prior to and following. And also when the investigators began to get in to the digital life of Stephen Capaldi, they found very disturbing things. These searches that he had 
conducted to what would seem at least to give them an idea of what he had planned out. And he, here's here's the thing, you know how I'd mentioned if you get into this kind of back and forth with the police when they're trying to find somebody that's missing and suddenly they realize that you've led them on a goose chase, a wild goose chase, that's going to wind up being charged, which he eventually was, with obstruction of justice. And also, you begin to think about, has he done anything at the scene that could potentially deceive or was meant to deceive law enforcement? And and he had. And that's where he's eventually charged with tampering of evidence. Because if, if, you, if you create a narrative by adjusting the scene at all, like, for instance, where you're going to take this $13,000 and her purse and these sorts of things and, and take them away, take them out of the scene, and it, it, it changes the context of everything, that can be construed as tampering as well. And it, it leads the police to begin to dig deeper. And when they do, after he had gone back and forth, fails a polygraph examination, and that gives them enough information in order to develop a warrant, Dave. And when they did, they found some pretty gruesome things. Stephen Capaldi, as you pointed out, had told many, many lies from the very beginning with his daughter, having seen her in two days, to the point where he actually is taking a polygraph test, which he failed miserably. As they were developing their information as the investigation rolled on, they found out that it was, in fact, Stephen Capaldi that had been having an affair, not his wife. Stephen Capaldi actually had all these searches done, as we mentioned right at the top of the show. He had actually searched, just to give you an idea, how to get away with murder. He searched this on his phone or computer, how to delete Facebook messages. Another one, can you avoid police detection by turning off your phone? How to Disappear and Never Be Found, and the FBI Handbook of Crime Scene Forensics. I've got this book on my shelf, Dave, in my office at the university, and it's something that I've referred to over the years. It's there, and I was, I was shocked. I saw that this was in, the, in his preferred, <laughs> preferred reading list. Not that there's anything wrong with being in possession of the book, but when again, when you're trying to understand what the mindset of somebody is that's attempting to get away with something, that, that's going to be a big indicator, at least from a circumstantial standpoint, that it's a, and, and you have to look at the approximation, you know, timelines. When did these things begin to bubble up in your mind? And that goes to a premeditative state of mind as well. You know, how long has perhaps he been considering doing these sorts of things? And eventually with Capaldi, he rolls over on this and admits to it. I mean, absolutely admits to it. He he actually pleads guilty. He went in and gave testimony in a grand jury hearing. And I, I can only imagine that the DA was just just shocked eventually. But in the interim, when it came down to it, he had taken time to, first off, I think it was back on October the 10th of 2022, he suffocated her. He suffocated her while she was in bed sleeping. And you've got two stories here. And with with the suffocation, it's it's kind of a an interesting dynamic. You think about suffocation 
versus asphyxia. Most of the time when people say suffocation, you think of maybe placing a bag over someone's head. And that's a what's called a oxygen deprivation event, where you're literally shutting out all supply of oxygen for the individual, and they they die as a result of not having access to breathable air. But with suffocation, someone's in bed. What do you automate? What's your default position there, Dave? What do you think happens? Going to use a pillow. But I got a question for you, Joe, because I'm thinking he using a pillow to suffocate someone that's on a bed. There's a lot of give on a bed. Yeah, there is. How do you get the force necessary, the weight necessary to actually cause someone to suffocate with a pillow and a mattress in between? They've done studies over the years with oxygen deprivation, with kind of the primal reaction that people have to this. And even the weakest among us will fight back. If you're laying on a surface like this, a soft surface like a mattress, and you're having direct pressure applied to the face, the individual will fight back. And I think that that's why, and they were able to see evidence of this, and certainly he admitted to this, is that he transitioned now to a different form of oxygen deprivation. He went from suffocation to strangulation at this point in time. So you just think about this. You're over your wife, Beth, in this case, you apply, say, for instance, a pillow to her face, and you realize that this isn't going anywhere. She's in a deep sleep. Suddenly, she's has this awareness that she's, you know, being deprived of oxygen. She begins to fight back. You toss the pillow aside, and then you essentially wrap your hands around her throat at that point in time and squeeze the life out of her. And that's these types of events. It's a very intimate intimate occurrence in this environment. And after this deed is done, remember, this is on the 10th. Dave, he admits that he removed her remains from the master bedroom down into the basement. And he left her down there for essentially two days. In the paperwork, he said he killed her in the master bedroom. He suffocated and strangled her in their master bedroom. Then it says... In his statement to police, he actually took her to another bedroom first and then took her down to the basement. What does that mean to you? It goes to a disordered mindset. It's always fascinated me relative to people that engage in in homicide and they're trying to understand what has occurred years ago when Bill Clinton one presidency famously said, well, I'm like the old dog that was sitting on the porch and was chasing cars all the time. I finally caught one. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And so you, you begin to think about this situation that you're in. What do you do at that point in time? Well, you, you begin to migrate things around. You're thinking about it. You're trying to work this out logically in an illogical situation because you're, you're overwhelmed. I mean, just imagine just for a second. You've certainly never been in a position where you're having to deal with the dead, how much more so your wife, and now you've got to figure out a way to get rid of her body. He had explored all kinds of things on the internet. You know, we talked about a reciprocating saw, which comes into play, but in addition to that, he had actually sought out quick drying concrete. His mind is going to a variety of things, and you see it kind of in a nutshell initially with the master bedroom, the secondary location, and then finally in the basement. Waits two days. Waits two days. 
and he's contemplating, right? He's contemplating, well, what's the best way to get my wife out of the house and dispose of her so that I can put as much distance between myself and her remains? And that's one of the things about a perpetrator like this. They want to try to put as much distance between themselves and evidence of of what they have done. Many times it's through those actions that you can find clues that lead back to the act itself because they, they're handling evidence, they're manipulating the body, they're trying to dispose of the remains. And as it turned out, you know, that basement turned into an absolute horror show, Dave. Right, so you've got a basement that is covered in blood and tissue, but it hit me that he kills his wife on October the 10th, on October the 12th. He then begins the process of dismembering her. And you mentioned the reciprocating saw. So tell me how that works to dismember a body, because most of us don't understand rigor mortis or what kind of state the body would be in. Would would we have a lot of odor? Would we have a stiff body? What would we have two days after the fact? At this point in time, Dave, her remains, let's just say, for instance, you've got a 48-hour window here. And I'm, I'm being kind of generous because you never know specifically about these times. But if you've got an individual who was murdered on the 10th, and now she's been in a state of postmortem change, now, let's say, top end 48 hours, if we're to believe the timeline, the body will be going through changes that could be appreciable, certainly by somebody in my field that's skilled at it. After about 36 hours, the body is coming out of Riger. So then the body goes back into what's referred to as a flaccid state. That's one of the ways that we actually measure postmortem interval. Because if you've got a body that is where you've got postmortem lividity, which is the settling of blood where it's fixed, if you press it, the skin color doesn't change because the little capillary beds have exploded. And the skin, for lack of a better term, is kind of stained beneath that surface. And then you've got a body, in addition to that, the body would be flaccid coming out of rigor mortis. Then you know that you're out beyond that 36-hour marker at that point in time. And that's one of the things that, that we'll look for. And of course, you can do body temperature, but after about 12 hours, that data for body temperature is completely worthless. People put so much stock in in what's referred to as algor mortis, which is the body temperature. But after about a 12-hour window, that data is, is pretty much worthless. So in a case like this, you would you can only imagine what he was faced with. And, and there's a human side to this, too, beyond just this technical forensics. I was thinking contemplating this a bit and thinking about this place that they lived in. You're talking about the most intimate space of all that you share with your with your spouse, the bedroom, and you migrate to another bedroom. And then you remove them to the basement, maybe a place where you've done work together as a couple, maybe a place where you've hidden the Christmas presents from the kids, maybe a place where if you have a family room where you watch sports together, or maybe you, you have game night together, and then suddenly it turns into a slaughterhouse. Just just think about that from the perspective of how, how, how this individual's mind would be working at this moment in time. All those things that you see are reminders of a life that has been lived. And now you've got your precious wife, and she is precious. She's precious in the sense that she's been with you all of this time. 
you've got a daughter that loves her mama. The daughter can't get in touch with her. Oh, and by the way, do what you got to do. Isn't that what he famously said? That's what drives me crazy. That just really does. Yeah, and he's doing what he thinks he has to do, isn't he, Dave? He's literally taking his wife's body apart in this place. Now he's faced with this Herculean task trying to dispose of her remains. Many people, I think, enter into this sort of thing and they think, oh, yeah, yeah, I could do it. Could you? Really? You think you could do it? Well, maybe you could. I don't know. And then given the emotion of it, you're emotionally bonded with this person. And here you are taking them apart. There's only so much rage and anger that you might have, that you might hold to somebody. At some point in time, you would think that something would click and you realize what you're in the middle of at this point in time. And I think that he probably did. I'm wondering, Joe, if you, as the forensic expert, when you find the body, can you tell if the person was in a fit of anger as they cut this person up or if they had time to calm down and now we're surgically doing it just now as self-preservation? I'm trying to get rid of the evidence here so I don't get caught. And, and that's an excellent question. How much time and skill was involved? Well, first off, what's your tool set? What have you brought? What are you purposing in order to facilitate this with? Do you have a bunch of sharp instruments or are you showing up with an axe? Does it look like there's hesitancy? Because we can find those sorts of things. Say, for instance, when it comes to bone in particular, we have what are referred to as stop starts, where you get these scratches on the bones. There are tool marks on the bones where you can see. And I'll give people a word picture so that you understand. Hey, if anybody in our audience has ever used a carpenter saw, where you begin to saw and it jumps out of the groove and you have to start over, same thing happens with bone. When you're faced with having to take apart a human remain, you're not just simply dealing with bone. You're dealing with all manner of soft tissue, dealing with connective tissue. So you're going through layers of skin, fat, and muscle in order just to get to the bone. And that requires a bit of skill there because, yeah, you're using a reciprocating saw in order to facilitate the dismemberment. But you have to get down to that very solid area of bone in order for it to function at its peak for what it's created for, for going through solid surfaces like this. In order to do that, you'd have to cut through the tissue with a sharp knife, perhaps. And there's the problem, because if you're using a saw such as this, remember the reciprocating saw, it kind of goes up and down. It pumps up and down very rapidly, obviously. It's got a limited space or limited surface area that it can go. So it's going to be very frustrating to utilize this thing. You'll use a saw like this to cut through drywall. You can cut two by fours with it. It's easy to kind of manipulate, but in a circumstance like this where you're having to deal with not just bone, but you're having to deal with all of these other layers of tissue the mess that you're creating relative to not just tissue going everywhere, but the deposition of blood that's still there, it's going everywhere. It will actually inhibit the blade and the functioning of this of this tool. But on top of that, you're staring down at this body that in life you spent all these years with as you're taking her apart. Stephen Capaldi admitted to killing his wife. 
he also admitted to dismembering her. But you think about, well, after you've dismembered her, what are you going to do with these dismembered remains of your wife? You can't leave them at the house. It's not like, yeah, I guess you could. You could go dig a hole in the backyard, put them back there. But people are going to notice. And again, going back to the idea of trying to get as much distance between yourself and the body. What are you going to do? Well, in Capaldi's case, he decided that he would deposit remains in various locations. When he he headed out from home, he made a stop along the way in a town called Lansdale where he went to an apartment complex and took some of her remains and placed them in an apartment complex dumpster. And then continuing to kind of drive along, he went to the edge of the Delaware River, an area that's referred to as Hog Island, which is right right adjacent to a little township in Delaware County. That's where he deposited the rest. Some of the remains to this point in time have not been recovered. But what they did do, once they found this deposition of remains, they were able to conduct DNA testing. And they did, in fact, determine that these are the mortal remains of Beth Capaldi. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.